0: I, I absolutely love those optical illusions where you look at the picture one way and you see one thing and then you look at it another way and you see another thing because I always take a long time to find the other thing and everyone's saying, no, look, can't you see the, the man? Where, where? Uh, I've refrained myself this morning. I could have bought five or six, but I've just bought one along. Have a look at this photo. Depending on which way you look at it, it's either an old lady or it's a young woman. So hands up who can see the old lady? Hands up who can see the young woman? Okay, So this is the young lady. See her face? She's looking away from us to the back. Can everyone see that? Hands up who can't see the young lady? (laughs) Wonderful. Now this is the old lady. She's looking towards us. Everyone see that? Same picture. But depending on which way you look at it, it's an old lady or a young lady, two different things. Now this morning is Good Friday and we'll be thinking together about Jesus' death. But in the passage that we just read and especially that last one, Jesus wants us to look at his death in a particular way. There's more than one way that we can look at it. See, one way that we can look at Jesus' death is to feel sorry for him. He was, after all, an innocent man. He was given an unfair trial. As he goes to the cross, he's just about to be executed by one of the worst ever methods devised by human beings. Here he is walking on his way to death. We could feel sorry for him, pity him, but that's not the way he wants us to view his death. So if we pick up where we just read from Luke 23, verse 26, as they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Here are some people feeling sorry for Jesus. But Jesus makes it clear that he's not after our pity. Because look at the very next verse. Jesus wants us to see something else. Jesus turned to the woman, women who were mourning for him and he said to them daughters of Jerusalem don't weep for me weep for yourselves and your children for the time will come when you will say blessed are the barren women the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed then they will say to the mountains fall on us and the hills cover us Now those words sound a little bit strange first reading, don't they? Jesus is actually quoting from a part of the Old Testament written hundreds of years before him called Hosea. And it's a place where God clearly talks about the horror of God's coming judgment. So terrifying will that day be that people will cry out to the mountains, fall on me, cover me, protect me. And as we look at Jesus' death, Jesus wants us to be thinking about it. Luke has written it in a way that wants us to be thinking about judgment. But not Jesus' death, not his judgment, our judgment. Don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. And that's reinforced by those cryptic words in verse 31. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? See, the green branch is the one that doesn't burn easily it doesn't burn naturally. If God doesn't spare the green branch, if God doesn't spare the innocent Jesus who doesn't naturally fall under his judgment, well, what will happen to guilty people? And so Jesus says, don't weep for me, the green branch. Weep for yourselves. So as we think about Jesus' death, we're going to have that in mind this morning. So we're going to look at Jesus' death not so much from the angle of what it teaches us about Jesus, but what it teaches us about ourselves. Now in this passage we see three men die. Two of them are guilty, the two criminals. one of them's innocent. Three men die. One man dies ridiculing. one man dies repenting, one man dies rescuing wonder which man you're the most like so we come across these two extra men in verse 32 two other men both criminals were also led out with jesus to be executed when they came to the place called the skull there they crucified him along with the criminals one on his right and the other on his left now, Luke has already um, shown us, as if we were reading through his gospel, that Jesus was innocent. But here he reminds us. So they led Jesus out with two criminals, and they crucified him along with the criminals. So Jesus is not a criminal, and yet he's dying a criminal's death. He's an innocent man being crucified with criminals. And I think it's interesting to note that Luke doesn't go into all the details, just three words. They crucified him. This is not like the Passion of the Christ movie, is it? Luke doesn't go in for all the gory details of the nails and the blood and the pain. Luke doesn't want us to feel sorry for Jesus. Luke does want us to see the evilness of this act. Look at verse 34. They divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching. The rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. See, the soldiers are dividing up the plunder. Who's going to get Jesus' clothes? The rulers are sneering at him. The rulers are not uh, like soldiers, political. They're the religious leaders, God's so-called representatives. And yet here they are, poking fun at the Son of God, laughing in an evil way. Then the soldiers pipe in, what kind of powerless king can't even save himself? Jesus, who in Luke's gospel has been nothing but goodness and love and helping the poor, and teaching the truth. He's done nothing but to help people. Now he's dying. And it's all a big joke to them. Even the notice above his head is a joke. It mocks him. This is the king of the Jews. Well, just like the rulers, just like the soldiers, this first criminal dies, ridiculing Jesus. Listen to these dying words of an unbelieving criminal verse 39 one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him aren't you the Christ save yourself and us see two men here are dying both are dying a criminal's death and yet the guilty one has the hide to insult Jesus It's human pride at its worst, isn't it? No matter how bad we are, we will always find something that we can condemn in other people. Make ourselves look better. This man is on the way down and he just has to have a lash out at Jesus. Here is a dry branch, oblivious to what waits for him, the other side of death. This criminal looks at God in the face and he says, I don't need you. He ridicules God and he asserts his independence with his dying breath. He dies ridiculing. But listen to the next man, verse 40. He dies repenting. The other criminal rebuked him. "'Don't you fear God,' he said, "'since you are under the same sentence. "'We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve.'" But this man has done nothing wrong. See, this criminal, he's he's no better or worse than the other criminal Luke tells us, but he confesses his own guilt. And that's the first step, the step that so many people find hard to take, the step of admitting that they've done wrong before God. See, most people would just prefer to wander through life ignoring the problem like a stubborn husband, not wanting to admit to his wife that he's taken a wrong turn in the car, not wanting to admit that he hasn't got a clue where he is on the map, so he just tries to keep driving and fudge his way to the destination, but he just gets more and more lost. Or like an alcoholic, refusing to admit that he's got a problem. Or like someone struggling to pay their bills and they don't want to face up to the problem and admit it, so they keep up their standard of living. And the credit card card debt rises higher and higher and they sink deeper and deeper. But they won't own up to their problem. That's what we're like when we ignore the offence that we have caused to God. We ignore the warnings that he's given us in the Bible. We ignore the attempts of friends to talk to us about Jesus. They do it because they're concerned for us. We ignore it and we sink deeper and deeper. But this criminal realises the game is up. He's hanging there on the cross, about to die. He sees his own guilt. He sees that Jesus is innocent. And so he repents. In other words, he acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, that he's king. Look at verse 42. Then he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Which brings us to the third man, doesn't it? The man who dies rescuing. See, though they mock him to come down from the cross so that he might rescue himself, the only way that Jesus can rescue us is by staying up there, and that's just what he does. He stays on the cross, he dies, and he saves us by dying. He dies in our place. The innocent one takes the place of the guilty. The innocent man dies for guilty men and women. See, Jesus has us in mind as he dies. He sees the coming judgment of God more clearly than anyone. He has us in mind. He dies with one purpose, to rescue in fact, did you notice his prayer back in verse 34? It's a staggering prayer, isn't it? Verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. See, in one sense, they know what they're doing. They're, they're, uh, they're executing an innocent man, and anyone can see that he's innocent. But what they're oblivious to is the horror of God's coming judgment. If they knew that one day they would stand before God in judgment, they would not be doing what they're doing. If they knew that Jesus is the green branch but they are dry branches ready for judgment, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. So the weeping women, the rulers, the soldiers, the criminals, even at this point, Jesus wants them to be forgiven to be spared from God's judgment, so he prays for them. And I think that prayer of forgiveness is answered in the criminal. This criminal repents. And because he acknowledges Jesus as king, because he confesses his own wrong, he's forgiven. And Jesus announces, verse 43, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise three men die one dies ridiculing one dies repenting one dies rescuing which one are you let let me give you a hint you're not the innocent rescuer two of them are criminals so that gives us a choice of two doesn't it because we're all guilty how will you face god's judgment How will you respond when you look into the face of God and when your life is called to account? How will you respond now? How will you die? Will you die ridiculing? Will you use your last words to assert your independence? Will you live and die saying to God, I don't need you? Or will you die repenting? Will you own up and confess that you're guilty before God and have Jesus remember you when he comes in his kingdom? See, like, like the old woman, woman, young woman picture, there's two ways we can look at Easter. Yes, we can look at Jesus with pity for poor fellow or with mockery like the crowds and the, and the leaders. Perhaps we can even ignore Jesus. But this Easter, I'd like us to uh, take Jesus' cue and think about ourselves. Think about where we stand before Jesus. What kind of prayer will we pray? Maybe your prayer is something like this Thank you, God, but no thank you. I'm content with my life how it is. No matter what you've done for me, I don't care. I will continue to live without you and take my chances. Now, if that's the kind of prayer that you want to pray, I can't stop you. But please consider God's words about the coming judgment. If men do these things while the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? I'm not saying that prayer to offend you. I'm saying it because Jesus is warning us here Don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. But maybe uh, this is the kind of prayer that you'd like to pray. My God, I see in the cross the darkness of my own heart. I see my pride. I know that I'm guilty before you. Jesus, you are my rightful king. Please remember me when you come into your kingdom. Amen. Both of those prayers will be answered. Which one will you pray?